Good morning, everyone. God is so good to us. He gave us his word. It is powerful, and we have the opportunity now to read it, to hear it, to think about it, and to put it into practice. So please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. This month, we are focusing on what the first church did. And we're going to be exposed to the four passions of a church devoted to Christ. And we're looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47, the entire month. Today, we're going to see that a church devoted to Christ is passionate about the Word of God. A church devoted to Christ is passionate about God's Word. So if you are able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading Acts 2, 41 to 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who were believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive your word, that we might know you and love you more. We pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, please be seated. So whether you are a regular here or whether you're new at Grace, we are in the book of Acts, and Acts picks up the story where the Gospels end. After the resurrection of Christ, and he commissions his followers, he, before he leaves earth and rejoins the Father in heaven, that's where Acts starts. We've titled the series, The Story of Christ's Work Continues. It's all about Christ's work through his witnesses for his purposes. That's what it's all about. That's what we're going to be uh, continuing to focus on. And Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is really the summary and really forms the outline for the book. Basically, uh, you think of concentric circles, and from, they're going from Jerusalem to, to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. First 13 chapters is all focused on um, being in Jerusalem, and then like a pebble getting thrown into a pond, uh, and the ripple effect happens, and so they're going from where they already were to Judea and Samaria, nearby, people nearby, who were hated and shunned. And then they would go to the ends of the earth, to the nations, most of which they, they thought of as unclean and unworthy of God's love. So God's blowing their minds and saying, you know what, you need to take the gospel to everyone because the gospel is for everyone. Preach the gospel to everyone, not just Jews. And so what you see them doing in the book of Acts 
is they had followed Jesus' instructions. He told them, stay in Jerusalem, wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. While they're waiting, they are doing uh, good things. They are praying, they are fellowshipping, they're of one mind, they're together, they're unified. They're searching the scriptures. In fact, they figure out, hey, we need to replace Judas, and they picked Matthias to replace Judas. And then, 10 days after Jesus left them and went back into heaven, 50 days after the resurrection, on a day known as Pentecost, where people historically thank God for giving the law at Mount Sinai and for blessing their crops in the Feast of Weeks, Jesus fulfilled the promise to send the Holy Spirit. So here's what you've got. You've got the living word, Jesus Christ, the living word made flesh who dwelt among us, who died for sin and shedding his blood at the cross. He is now, on the day of Pentecost, reaping a harvest of souls. Here's the first fruits of the church. He is starting to collect the elect, drawing people to himself by his mercy and his grace. You may have experienced that mercy and his, and his grace in your life where he drew you to himself and, and you came to the point where you realized that there is no way you could save yourself and that Jesus is the only way to be saved. So this is what is going on and even when Jesus was on earth, many didn't recognize who he was, didn't acknowledge him. Even after he left, people would not believe. Even after he died, was buried, rose from the, the dead, uh, they, would, they refused to believe. And there were some people that mocked uh, his followers after he sent the spirit now the spirit was sent in a very uh, wild spectacle of sight and sound it was a loud noise uh, languages came to the to the disciples in in a way that was almost as if fire and what happened was here's jerusalem that's filled with probably upwards to 500,000 people at the time that come from all over the known world and God gave them the ability to speak the languages of the people that had gathered. And so they were speaking languages that all these people could understand. And the message was about the mighty deeds of God. They heard the gospel in their own language on the day of Pentecost. But some were mocking. Some said, no, you're drunk with grape juice. You can't handle it. You're crazy. It was a, a, crazy, a crazy accusation. And in response to their mocking, Peter spoke to the crowds. We saw that for several weeks. Peter's Pentecostal preaching on the day of Pentecost, what he preached. It was made up of several elements. Number one, he explained what happened with the word of God. He explained to them the phenomena that they were seeing with the word of God. What else did he do? The majority of what he did was that he exalted Jesus Christ. He showed from the scriptures that Jesus is Lord and Christ. Makes it very clear. So he explains the phenomena that happens with the Bible. He exalts Jesus. But then he does something that a lot of us are afraid to do. He exposes their sin. He tells them, you killed Jesus. You're under the wrath of God. You're guilty. And while he's telling them that, God is working in their hearts to convict them of their sins. So they cry out, what are we supposed to do? They're desperate at this point. They realize their sin. They realize their guilt. And they're crying out and saying, what are we supposed to do about our souls? Peter tells them the truth. He says, you need to repent. 
need to repent. You need to believe in Jesus, turn from your sins. And what you see happen is the people got it. At least 3,000 of them. Again, not the greatest harvest in the world based upon 500,000 being there, but still a lot of people. So verse 41, we read that those who received his word were baptized. What does it mean to receive that word? They believed in the Lord Jesus. They were saved. They were forgiven. And then they get baptized, showing their repentance in a very public way. Next week, we're going to have some baptisms here. People that have come to faith in Christ are going to publicly show their repentance. Now, some of them have been believers for quite a while, and it should already be evident that they have repented and turned to Jesus. If they're brand new believers, this will be a first step in their discipleship. What we see here is that they were added, the 3,000 were added, which means that God received them, He added them to the family. You've got about 3,120 people at this point, more in a single day, by the way, than Jesus had gathered in three years of ministry on earth. He told his disciples, John 14, 12, he says, greater works than these you'll be doing. This is Christ's work through his witnesses for his purposes. And uh, he got 3,120. So what comes next? Uh, in the, really in the final verses of this chapter is a summary statement of the life of the early church. What they did. We're going to see the four passions of a church devoted to Christ. They're very clear. They're in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, number one. To fellowship, number two. To the breaking of bread, number three. And number four, prayer. Literally, the prayers. Plural. So over the next four weeks, we're going to look at these four things. And today we're looking at the first that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, before we look at that, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that they were first, and I want you to grasp this, that they were first devoted to Jesus Christ. They were first and foremost devoted to Jesus. And here's why. They had believed everything they heard about Jesus in Peter's sermon. Now, Peter's sermon was chock full of gospel goodness. Okay, you can't miss the identity of Jesus in this sermon. He talked about how Jesus was crucified, how he was uh, buried, how he was raised from the dead, how God made him both Lord and Christ, and he showed him that from the Old Testament. It was very clear. But first and foremost, in the first church, Jesus came first before everything else. Just like our youth so clearly and strongly showed us last week from Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is preeminent. Verse 18 says that he should have first place in everything. 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us that by, by his doing, you are in Christ. Literally, he is the source of your life in Christ. God saved you when you came to faith in Christ. And I think everyone needs to see this, that you can't just jump in and say, we're going to do these four things, the, the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking bed and prayer and miss Jesus. You don't want to miss Jesus in this. It would be very easy for people to, to, to not be saved and to be at a church and say, I'm going to do these four things. People have done these kind of things for years. Everyone needs to see this. When you come to Jesus, 
when you come to faith in Christ, first and foremost, your burden of sin that you've been carrying around is lifted off your shoulders. And you receive forgiveness from Jesus. And it blows your mind. It changes everything. The filthy rags of your own perceived goodness are replaced with Christ's perfect righteousness. That you realize, like, like Abraham Lincoln said, he who has himself as his advocate is a fool. You realize that you, that you can't represent yourself before God. You can't be your own client before God. You need Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the perfect advocate who went in your place to the cross and died for your sins. And when you, when you, when you see that, you realize that, that all the things you thought were, were good about what you were trying to do to make yourself pleasing to God are as filthy rags. And you receive the righteousness of Christ and that wells up in you a gratitude that can never be taken away. You, you, you're, you love Jesus because he first loved you. Your heart is broken over your sinfulness. You're poor in spirit you're bankrupt spiritually and you know there is nothing i can do apart from jesus i remember as a brand new believer attending a church that i'd grown up in and sitting in church just hoping that the pastor would say the name of jesus i remember one sunday jesus didn't get named at all I kept writing on my, my note card, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And when you come to faith in Christ, you have a grateful devotion. There's a humble gratitude in your heart because of what God has done in your life that you know you could never do. That is the basis for the outflow of these passions. This church that's devoted to Christ had these four passions, and this is what they were devoted to doing. This is what they did. This is explaining what they did. Now you think of the early church. So much was happening so fast. You do the math. It's like 50 days after the resurrection, 10 days after Jesus went back up into heaven. But I'll tell you what, these new believers were all in. They weren't just tacking Jesus on to an already busy life. They were devoted Devoted to Jesus, therefore passionate about these things. Now what does it mean to devote yourself to something? What does that mean? If you devote yourself to something, think about it. If you have a hobby that you're really, really into, it almost becomes a pastime. It almost becomes a vocation in your life. It's not just a casual thing. It's something you're really, really into and you think about all the time. Think about what you think about all the time. What is it? What is it that you think about all the time that's always on your mind? That's what you're devoted to. You know what devotion is. To be devoted means to commit yourself to a course of action and pour all your energy into it and focus on it and then be ready to do something about it. It's not enough to say, you know, I really love horses and not spend any time around horses. You're devoted I'm going to give you the Greek word. You're going to forget it, but I want, to, I want you to know what it means. The Greek word used in Acts 2.42 is proskartario. 
You're going to forget that probably, but I have to look at it every time because I forget it as well. There's certain words you can actually totally memorize, like cardia, heart. Yeah, it's like cardiac. I get it. But proscartario, you're going to forget it. But here's what it means. To attend to something all the time. Now, it's used in different ways in the Bible. Early on in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, they were devoting themselves, continually devoting themselves to prayer. It literally means that they didn't just pray once and were done, but they prayed all the time. It's a continual devotion. It's translated that way. They continually devoted themselves. The word is used in, in Colossians 4, 2, about devoting yourself to prayer. There are some interesting uses of the word that I think can help us grasp what it means. In Acts chapter 10, verse 7, in the context of Cornelius, who was of the Italian cohort, I love that, a commander of an Italian battalion, and it says in verses 1 and 2, he had these attendants, people waiting on him hand and foot to do whatever he told them to do. That's the same Greek word, proskartario, personal attendants. Another very interesting use of the word, Mark chapter 3, verse 9. Jesus is, is preaching and teaching, going all over the place, and the crowds are pressing in, the crowds are getting in the way, and you know how you would feel if, you know, people, the paparazzi were always, you know, following after you, you'd want to have a car waiting at all times? He said, have a boat ready at all times. He said, basically, have the boat stand ready because of the crowds. So if they push them into the water, get into the boat and go to the other side. That's the same Greek word, proskartario, stand ready, the boat standing ready. Okay, the boat's not making any decisions here, right? The, the boat is, is at its the master's disposal. So this new church devotes themselves to Jesus and to these things. They decide to do something, and on an ongoing basis, they actually did what they decided to do. Now, when I was a high school freshman in 1976, yes, 1976, I was on the cross-country team, and I was extremely devoted to it. I bought into my coach's program. I was ready to follow all his instructions, and I did. Every morning, I would get up at 5.30 in the morning and get dressed and ride my bike in the dark. I found out this morning as I checked it on, map, on the maps Two and a half miles. I thought it was five miles. From, from 9023 Cheney Avenue and Downey to Downey High School. I thought it was like five miles, but it was actually only two and a half miles. In the dark, 13-year-old, under five feet, 90 pounds. You can picture me, okay? And here's what I would do. I'd ride my bike every morning to get to school by 6.30 to run. As a freshman. I was a little freshman. And I was following the coach's orders. And I'll tell you what, I became the freshman MVP. Co-freshman MVP. Ricardo Estrella was really good too. <laughs> he got up early, like I did. But I was devoted to it. I was thinking about it all the time. I didn't want to be the guy they were waiting on. I was going to get there on time or early. Rode my bike. They were devoted to Jesus. They were devoted, and the outflow of that devotion was a devotion to God's word. That's the first outflow. And let me tell you what the devotion to the apostles' teaching means, because you're like, well, wait a minute. 
there's no apostles hanging out here. Well, what's going on with that? How could you be devoted to the apostles' teaching today? They were, but could we? Yes. Because devotion to the apostles' teaching for them and for us means hearing and obeying the word of God. Hearing and obeying the word of God. You can do that. You can hear the word and then do what it says. Now, they were giving their attention to the apostles' teaching. These apostles that were probably including everything that got included into the Gospels at some point because they had a big role. The 12 apostles had a big role at the beginning of the church. They're passing on to these new believers all the details of Jesus' life and ministry and how he was the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies. Now, here's what you see. From the early church on, from the first Christian church onward to today, getting a new believer into the word is of utmost importance. When someone comes to faith in Christ, what do you tell them? Hey, you need a Bible, and you need to start reading it, and I'll help you. If you have questions, write them down, and we'll talk about it. So the apostles' teaching is what they were devoted to Two, the, the pure and simple message of the grace of God in Christ, explaining all about Jesus, but you see them doing other things in the book of Acts. They straighten out misunderstandings. They straighten out uh, false teaching and other things like that. See, the apostles were in a, an authoritative position in the early church because they didn't have the New Testament yet. We have the New Testament today. We got the Old and New Testaments. They were going off the Old Testament and explaining what was going on. Okay? So a church devoted to Christ is passionate about the Word of God. Passionate. And everything else, what I want you to notice is everything else they did had its basis in that. Everything else flowed out of that. They hungered for Christ, therefore they hungered for His Word. They loved the living word, so they wanted the written word. Here's what a church in love with Jesus will be passionate about regarding the word of God. I'm going to give you four things. Number one, they will be passionate about the priority of the word of God. Notice how teaching is the first thing listed about their devotion. So the first object of their devotion, obviously the first focus, is Jesus and a total commitment to the word. And without apology. No apology here. And it wasn't a hobby. It was a consuming passion for them. It, it just oozed out of them. Go through the whole rest of the book of Acts. And what do you see? They go about boldly proclaiming the gospel. They go from town to town. Preaching and teaching and proclaiming Christ. They're all about Jesus and the word of God. why I like to end my emails with for Jesus and the gospel it reminds me that's why I exist for Jesus and the gospel in Acts chapter 17 verse 10 uh, there's some trouble going on Paul and Silas are getting trouble from the Jews in Thessalonica they don't like the word getting preached they don't like hearing about Jesus and so the, the church sends Paul and Silas away by night to Berea now that should ring some bells if you're familiar with the Bible. Berea was a place where the Bereans were, and the Bereans were really into the Word of God. Here's what it says about them. They were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Now, these are the Jews, okay? And it says that they received the Word with great eagerness. 
they wanted to hear the word of God, okay? They're, they're telling them about, about they're, they're, they're using the Old Testament with them, okay? Then it says they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things that they were being told were true. So they're basically going back into their scriptures that didn't have all the verses that we have, okay, like where you could actually, um, you know, go, oh, go to verse 20 in chapter 10. They're like going through without all those easy ways to find things in the Bible, and they want to find out if what they're hearing about Jesus is really true. Does it stand up? Does it hold true? And it tells us that, they, that many of them believed. They believed along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. So you've got Jews and Gentiles coming to faith in Christ as a result of the teaching, preaching of the word of God and the explanation of who Jesus is from the word of God. There was a priority in the early church on the word of God. Okay, that's, that's just undisputed. Now the second thing I want to point out is that, is that there's a necessity of servant leaders leading with the word of God. Leading with the word of God. What you notice is the apostles taught the apostles taught. They could devote themselves to the apostles' teaching because the apostles were teaching. Acts chapter 6, verse 4, a problem arose in the early church, and they said, hey, our widows, some of the widows are being neglected in the daily serving of food. And you don't see the apostles say, you know, we'll take care of that. Go back to your houses. We'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. They said, you pick out seven men amongst yourselves who have a good reputation and are full of the Holy Spirit and let them do that task because we will devote ourselves, same word, proskartario, same Greek word. Now you might not forget it because I've said it 10 times. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Our, in, in the last week of the month, we're gonna look at, at prayer. But let me just say, you need both in balance. If you always take the word in and never pray, you're going to become um, puffed up in your own mind thinking you know all the answers. There will not be a humility there. If you're praying all the time and not getting into the word, you could be tr easily tricked by false teaching. You need a balance of the two. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And God's word has often been forgotten and, and left behind by leaders who should be leading with the word. I think of 2 Kings chapter 22. Josiah, the king, he's eight years old when he becomes king. In the 18th year of his reign, when he's 26 years old, he says that, that uh, you need to send some, some money to the workers who are trying to rebuild the temple and uh, don't even ask them for an accounting because they're honest. But he knew about them. Well, while there, Shaphan, the, uh, the, um, uh, one of the attendants, um, gets a book from Hilkiah. Here's what happens. While they're there, they find a Bible, basically. They, they, find, they find God's word. Now, wouldn't you think that, like, in the, in the temple where you go to worship, you'd find God's word? But it was, like, buried under some rubble. They had lost the word of God. Look, there's churches that, you know, buildings, at least, that have been made into restaurants, right? Church buildings made into restaurants and all that. But there are church buildings, as we speak, that aren't preaching the word of God, right? We all know this happened. We know what happens. So here, everyone had lost the word of God, and they come back, and understatement of the, the century, the, the Shephan says to Josiah, hey, um, he's checking off his list. 
all the workers are doing fine. We gave them the money. They're doing the work, blah, 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 blah. Oh, and uh, P.S. Hilkiah gave me a book. So they read it. And Josiah's response is he tears his clothes in, in, in repentance, in, in, in grief over the sin of, of all the people. He says, we are under the, the, the wrath of God, and guess what happens as a result? You keep reading in 2 Kings, and change happens. Chapter 23 of 2 Kings, the reforms are taking place. Josiah cleans house, basically, and says, we're not doing that anymore, and that anymore, and that anymore, because God says not to. We've got to listen to his word. We've got to be devoted to his word. Most notable is in 2 Kings 23, when, when, he says, when it says that he took the horses, that were devoted to the sun and, and took those out, out of the way too. People in that day, worshiping false gods, would, would ride their horses out uh, towards the sun where it was really hot and then they would slaughter their horses there to offer the horses to the sun. Pretty crazy, right? But God's people were doing that. And Josiah said, not doing that anymore. They were preaching and teaching the word that, that you know, the, in the book of Acts, Paul, Paul, here's what he says to the Ephesian elders when he's saying goodbye to them. He says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. He's leading with the word of God. That's what we're supposed to do. Lead with the word of God. Third thing is that there's a responsibility on the part of all who follow Christ to follow the word. Not just for the leaders to point it out, but then for those who follow Christ to follow God's word. Here's, here's the deal. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That means they were constantly attending themselves to it, and they were waiting on it in obedience to God. It wasn't about being entertained. It was about their lifeblood. In Acts chapter 18, there's a Jew named Apollos who comes to Ephesus, and it says that he's an eloquent man. He's very competent in the scriptures. He knows the word of God. He's been instructed in the way of Jesus. He's fervent in spirit. He is teaching accurately about Jesus. But he only knew about the baptism of John. He didn't know about being baptized in Jesus' name, I guess. And here's what happens. Priscilla and Aquila hear it. And they take him aside, and they teach him the way of God more accurately. They say, Apollos, we know you can, you're really good at speaking and all that, but there's part of what you're saying isn't completely accurate. And you know, what he, you know what he didn't do? He didn't say, who are you to tell me? Because I know how to do all this. He, he, he humbled himself, listened, and followed the word. He followed what the word says. So he was, here's a person who knew the word, but he was teachable and humble, and he aligned himself with the word and, and, and aligned his teaching with the scriptures. I think there's a lot of people, you know, that, that won't take the time or don't take the time or feel like they don't have the time to get in the Word of God. I talk to people all the time about um, what they're reading in the Bible, and it's, it's just, it's true how, how our time schedules, uh, the Bible and prayer get carved out. It doesn't get put in. Well, we will make all sorts of commitments to be more disciplined, but they're easy to break. Let me tell you the secret. If you want to be disciplined in the Word of God, God wants you to be so in love with Him you should be so in love with Jesus that you want his word. You don't go to the word to get facts. You, you, get, you go to the word to get God, who he is. That you're so dependent on God and so in love with Jesus that you have to have a word from him. You know, we're devoted to food. 
We seek it very intently every day, sometimes every hour. That's how we should seek the word of God, as intently as we seek our food. No one here is starving, right? We're well-fed. We gotta be well-fed in the word. We gotta feed ourselves. I remember when I was, when I realized that I was a sinner uh, under the wrath of God and, and I yielded my life to Jesus, I wanted to read the word of God more than anything. I know a lot of things choke out the word of God and cause our hunger for it to go away. Many lesser things that keep us from being characterized as being competent in the word of God. I think of Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress. He was given a scroll, a roll, and, and he, he left it behind. He, he was sleeping, and he got up, and he left it, and he, he had to retrace his steps three times. He had to go and come back and then go the same way again to go back and get the scroll. Because I'll tell you, you, you leave the word behind in your life, you will not be assured in your relationship with God. You'll always be wondering. You'll always be wondering. And then when you really get in the word of God, you know how starved you were for the word of God. We have too little of the word, not too much. My hunger for the word grows as my love for Jesus grows, and vice versa. When I'm devoted to him, I'm devoted to the word. When I'm devoted to the word, I'm devoted to him. It's a snowball effect, and that's when God gets to work on your heart. I've seen two common errors. Two common errors. Number one, no plan. I know I run into so many people who go, I, I don't know what to read in the Bible. Well, here's my advice to you. I want to give you some simple advice. Okay? Figure something out. All right, tweet that. Just figure something out. You're smart. You've got a Bible. You've got a bunch of them. You, you don't know how to do it. Just figure it out. All right, now that I've helped you in that way, let me mention that there's another error. Some people kind of come across as if they're over the word versus under the word. A lot of people approach the word as if they're in charge. God's in charge. A lot of people want to dissect the word. I say di let the word dissect you. Don't see yourself as a surgeon who's picking apart the word. Let God do surgery on your heart. Let the word of God sink deep in your soul. It is, it is the scalpel God uses. It's living, it is active, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of joints and marrow, and it, 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 it judges the thoughts and intentions of your heart. It's not about knowing all the answers, it's about knowing Jesus. Colossians 3, 16 tells us, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. You don't get that by the verse of the day. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So as you're letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you, and you're with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, you do all that in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving my soul. I want your word. I need your word more than anything. You know that... Um, the apostles' favorite name for Jesus was Lord Jesus. Jesus is, is um, called Lord in, in the book of Acts 101 times, referred to as Lord. They, they, they name him that way 25 times. The Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus. They didn't know him as just Savior Jesus. There's, there, that's just not, that's an American thing. Oh, you know, make him, make him your Savior, and then hopefully at some point in the, in the future, you'll, you'll make him your Lord. You make Jesus do anything? He is Lord. You've got to acknowledge him as Lord. 
Jesus said, if you're my friends if you do what I say. This is something for us to learn. Fourth thing I'll mention, and then we're going to close pretty soon. Uh, the, it's this. Uh, there's something else about this that is, is wrapped up in this devotion to the word of God, and it's this. That the authority of the church to uphold and unleash the word of God. The church was shaped by the apostles' teaching. Now, 3,000 were in this new community. The foundation of that new community was the word of God. And verse 47 tells us God was adding daily to their number those who were being saved. And for all of them, the foundation was the same, the word of God. The word of God. How did they know to do that? Because Jesus told them to do that. In the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. It's very clear. And great awe, great awe came upon every soul. You know what that, you know what that word is? Phobia, fear, really good fear. Like, wow, God is amazing. Uh, awe, 3,120 minds stunned by the evident working of God. And they responded. The results beyond their wildest imagination. You can read what happened in verses 44 to 47. And God is adding to the number every, every, every day those who are being saved. They're not transferring from other churches. You notice that? They're being saved. There's God's church growth program. Uh, uh, many new believers. And we don't like talking about numbers at grace, but maybe we should be more like mathematicians here. Numbers matter to God because people matter to God and every person matters deeply to him and heaven rejoices when a sinner repents. So it's about the repentance and salvation of those who come to faith that is counted. We always celebrate that. We always celebrate that. They went somewhere, they did something and they preached the word in person and in groups. Don't say, oh, I'm exempt because I don't have the gift. Oh, everyone's got the call. He preached the word, preached the word one-on-one. Literally, um, in Acts chapter 8, it says that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Literally, that's the word euangelion. It means to gossip the word, person by person. Everyone's supposed to do that. Then it says that Philip proclaimed the word, keruso. That's the word for preaching. He preached it to a whole group. So no one's exempt. Everyone is to to preach the word, whether it's one-on-one or in group settings. That's what we're supposed to be doing not just keep it to ourselves. Their devotion to the word went out from them. Okay, I want, to, I want you to see a testimony, a couple testimonies uh, from people at Grace that were asked the question, how has God's word basically changed your life? Okay. God's word is so good because it is light for our path. It gives us instruction. It shows us how to live. It gives us knowledge about God. It is the truth. And most importantly, it shows us Christ in all his glory. And it is, it is so wonderful. But like all of you, I struggle sometimes to be consistent in reading it and to understand what it's saying and to respond emotionally the way I should and to obey it. And, and so I struggle with that, but yet, one thing that God has used in his providence over time has been the preaching of the word. Uh, to see a man who's on fire 
proclaiming God's word. It's like taking a branch that's on fire and touching it to me and, and then I'm on fire for the word too. And so God has used that to graciously help me to want his word more and desire it. And so his word is good and wonderful and it gives us all we need. It takes us and it shows us God himself and we can know God as he's revealed himself in his word. The teaching and preaching at Grace is my weekly direction finder, if I'm off track. It's God leading me through solid teaching through his word, which helps keep me focused on him, not on the distractions of the world. It is also great fellowship with other like-minded people, which is a source of strength and a blessing. I'll be reading on the behalf of Carol Gilbertson, who was unable to make a video due to being sick last week. This is what she said. This is a difficult, if not impossible, question to answer in a few words or even a few paragraphs. The examples are so numerous, I can honestly say there are no occasions on which I walk out of a worship service, a Sunday school class, a Bible study time, a prayer time, even a gathering with a purpose not wholly centered on studying God's Word without taking with me some new insight or reminder of God's love for His people and for me of his promises to be with us as we walk through life, facing problems big and small, and a challenge to demonstrate my love and gratitude to him through obedience to his will. And that comes through to me, even when I am tired or distracted, if I completely absorb even a portion of a lesson, study, sermon, etc., that is the exact portion the Lord wanted me to get, exactly what he knew I needed to hear. Of course, it's even more of a blessing when I'm more attentive and absorb everything. So I was asked to talk about the Word of God. And let me just say, in my life, the Word of God has been instrumental. When I was younger, um, I was taught the Word, and I was so thankful for my parents to, to teach me the Word of God because it showed me the way that I should go. And as I grew older, I had some good teaching, and... Uh, some teaching that was not aligned with the Word, but thankfully that the Word of God, it speaks to us, and it speaks to us today. And the beautiful thing about the Word is that it will correct those things that are in error in our lives. It'll correct errors in our thinking, and um, most importantly, the Word directs us to Christ, and it directs us to who He is. It's how the God of the universe communicated and decided to communicate with us that's phenomenal that he would condescend and that he would give us his words and that's what I find most amazing about the word is that he would speak to us and then what the words say that he came that he died that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures so that we might be saved that salvation is only brought about by the hearing of, of the word. It says in Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so it's, it's hearing that word, it's being regenerated by the spirit. All of this would not happen unless we heard the word. Paul says that um, how will people know unless they hear? The Word is the primary means by which God save, saves, and I'm so thankful for it in my life. It, uh, 
continually, daily, gives me strength, it gives me encouragement, and it's saving me. Christ is saving me, but the Word is where, where I heard the good news. Worship team is going to come up, and let me just say a couple things about getting the Word into your life. I found in Psalm 119, verse 31, this verse that says, My soul clings to your testimonies, O Lord. And you apply that in this way. You want the Word of God to stick in your life, you got to stick to it. You got to stick to the Word in your life. You got to, in your heart, you've got to take the Word in. You've got to take it in, and it's going to take time. You can't just take a minute and do that. It's something that needs to be a devotion, meaning you carve out time for it. Um, it also means that in your home, those that God has given you to live with, that you would engage in the Word with them. If you devote, if you say, I want to devote myself to getting in the Word with my household, my husband, my wife, my kids, my, my parents, whoever is, is there, uh, my roommates, then I guarantee you every imaginable distraction will come up because it's so important to do, to get the Word into the life on a daily basis, not just Sundays, not just when you go to groups that do this, and then to get the Word out to your neighbors and to people you meet. I've brought Bibles today. I, I, I met a man, a ministry man recently who said, I'll give you as many Bibles as you want to give out and these are really good ones they're down here you just come up afterwards I'll give you one they're in a really nice box they're two-tone and all that New American Standard Bibles um, from the Lockman Foundation and I'm telling you what uh, give it to someone who doesn't have one okay give it to someone who doesn't have one we made up fridge magnets with Acts 242 on and put them on your fridge my guess is it's going to stick to your fridge unless of course you have the stainless steel one and, and then you're going to need to use tape. But I'm telling you what, it's about, we're talking today about receptivity to the word. <laughs> okay? If your fridge is receptive to the magnet, that's how you should be. If it's not, don't be like that, okay? Don't, don't, okay. Um, all right, let's just pray. Lord God, thank you for, for this time and thank you for the privilege, Lord, the privilege of, of knowing Jesus and then having the word in our lives. Lord, bear fruit through us that remains. In Christ's name, amen.